Wolverine. Wolverine. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Examination Podcast. This week we're heading back to Orca's Space to review X-Men number 6, X-Force number 7, and Excalibur number 7. Joining me, the prophecy of the future of Krakoa, it's Dane Rainier. I see it. I see it all. And helping me burn it all down, it's Kelsey Stretz. Oh, burn, baby, burn. (laughs) (laughs) We've got some great issues to discuss this week. So let's go ahead and jump right into Cerebro and see what's new in the world of Marvel. Um, One of the kind of slow film news week. But one of the coolest things we saw was a preview image for Marauders number 11. Now, if you've been reading Marauders, you know that Kitty Pride is gone. And we got the text that says, The X-Men thought they conquered death. Looks like they were wrong. And it features a picture of Storm and Emma with Lockheed on her shoulder, weeping over the dead body of Kitty Pride with various mutants in the background uh, looking on. Now, Quentin, Quentin, I recall you saying she's not dead. Yeah, I stand obvious, by that. Quite adamant. Yeah. I, I stand by this. So <laughs> if you go back to earlier news, um, when they first started interviewing Hickman and really early Don of X, like after they revealed Resurrection, they talked about how they weren't going to use death the same way and that death wasn't going to be a storytelling crutch. This feels like a crutch to me. What do you guys think? I will Depends say how they use it. Yeah, okay. it, it, I guess it does. This one... I don't know, because it's so easy to go back and forth on, because if they don't kill her, it seems really, like, cheap. But then if they do kill her, they've got two choices. Either you keep her dead, in which case it seems like they really built up new Kate, and it's a big waste in a lot of ways, and kind of a bold decision to kill her. Or they find some cheesy way to bring her back, not using Resurrection, and then it's it kind of goes against the whole thing that Hickman has been saying so i'm i'm interested i'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt to find out what happens but it's a it's a tightrope kelsey are you hoping for a game of thrones or a bait and switch <sighs> you know has has kate been dead before i mean she did the bullet thing so like what yeah. what is death has she disappeared and they've given her a funeral before probably i don't know if she's literally died and came back to life I think the Xavier Mansion is just littered with tombstones of every X-Men ever. Yeah. Some more than once. Anyways, um, God, I'm I'm torn by it because I do enjoy all the Kate Pride stuff they've been doing. But when you kill someone off and leave them dead for a good arc, it's also nice to see that, you know, that's not fleeting. I don't know. It's hard with comics. It's you can't treat it like a Game of Thrones situation because that's finite those are books you can say well this is the end of the books and he's still dead so he's gone i mean with comics 20 years from now they could do a new marauders or new x-men and they're like well kate pride's back she'll definitely yeah, come if, back i think the yeah, question is looking at dawn of x though like if, if you're gonna right. if you're gonna go with the hickman tenure do you want to see kate if, if as long as it's this hickman era do you want to see her be gone so that Death still has power in the, in a context where they're advertising it like this, or do you do you want it to be kind of like I a fun trick, Pirates of the gone. Caribbean style? You hope she's gone. Yep. I'm kind of thinking maybe a Jack Sparrowy, you know, like it's you know the time you almost caught Kate Pride <laughs> kind of scenario. I think the question is, do they already have a plan to bring her back? 
You know what I mean? Because yeah. obviously she's going to yeah. come back eventually. And the thing is, I think for story, I hate saying this, for storytelling purposes, I hope she is gone. But as a reader who's really enjoying Kate, it's going to hurt. Yeah, you can't just kill characters for the sake of like being edgy. Like it, it needs to resonate. And I'm not sure that this one felt, I don't know if I feel like it's a tragedy like it was with Ed Stark, but I also don't know if it's like, I don't know, sad. Like, I don't, But if I don't you know bring her back, it. it makes it even more hollow. Yeah. I guess it yeah. depends on how they do it, though. Like I said, I want to give it a fair shake. That That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, the it, next piece of news. You know, go ahead, Kelsey. No, give, give it the chance to, to do something with it, you know? Yeah, don't judge it. They, we still got some books, and they might tell it the right way. And we don't know. Maybe she <laughs> comes back and dies again. Who knows? Um, let's take a look at X Factor. So X Factor is a new book coming out, not out quite yet. I think it's down the line past the giant size, past Hellions and past Wolverine, which comes out next week. They recently released, uh, costume redesigns by the artist for X Factor. Uh, did you guys get a chance to look at that? Yeah, I've taken a look I at just, it. I just saw it. Yeah. What did you guys think of their new designs? Eh. We got one eh. I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, it doesn't, you know, X Factor never really did anything for me before, and this isn't really doing anything for me now. I think Aurora and Northstar look really cool. It's certainly unique. They yeah. look, they're very, like, I don't know, like, hipster-ish is the first, it was the, the first two things I thought about when looking at them were, they all look like hipsters, some, like, upscale, fashionable hipsters, and... It looks very, like this image at least, reminds me a lot of the Lantern core, just because of all the different colors. And even the symbol is a little yeah. like lantern-y. lantern-y. Yeah, yeah, and they all share, they're sharing a symbol. And the, the rework of the symbol is kind of, I don't know, weird to me. I think uh, the standout for me, I think Aurora's costume looks really cool. I do like the, the kind of half cloak thing. Mm-hmm. Which is funny yeah. that like she's the standout and she was the one that wasn't even on the cover. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, so X Factor, uh, cautiously optimistic. I think it sounds like a cool premise, hunting down mutants who have disappeared. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so unless you guys got anything else, I think it's time to head right into our issues this week with Excalibur number seven. So Excalibur seven. Richter, Sword in the Stones, the Sword of Power, to keep it away from Brian. Captain Britain, Betsy, checks in with Apocalypse, who promises no more secrets, and hands over his grimoire, letting Betsy know that he needs war wolf heads. Not werewolf, war wolf heads. Which, which the, look nothing like wolves. No, they kind of have a beak. Yeah. The war wolves are supposed to be at the London Zoo. But they find out that they have been purchased by Cullen Bloodstone for Sporting Hunt. And Cullen allows them and the team to join in on the hunt, but reveals that he is in fact hunting the most dangerous game. X-Men. <coughs> Don't laugh. That was the issue. I know it was the issue. <laughs> so, the most dangerous game, uh, the X-Men or whatever. So we got Excalibur number seven. New story arc. Are are we intrigued by this new villain? Oh, I. What does he do? I mean, really, really, what's he do? Rides a horse. No, do you know, do you know who this is? No, I don't. Quentin, do you know who this is? No, I'm not sure. 
Okay, so Colin Bloodstone originally debuted in Avengers Arena. He was one of the the kids in the like uh, arcade uh, island, yeah, death match, death match thing, the Hunger Games style thing. So he his the quick and dirty of his backstory is that, like his dad basically locked him away in, in an alternate dimension to like get tough, and his dad was gonna leave him there for like a day, and then his dad died, and nobody got him out for like two years. So he's possessed by like an alternate reality monster and he has this family ring that suppresses it and then also gives him powers, but he kind of still has some access to the monster inside. Oh yeah. I I don't necessarily hate the idea of bringing back a fun character like that. And he's very new because like uh, Avengers arena was only like what early 20 teens. Yeah. I mean, he's he's very, the scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about it. I mean, you know, it's it's like the other stuff. Let's see where it goes. Um, the war wolves were felt forced. Uh, where there's like, oh yeah, we also need the heads of these extra dimensional creatures that are actually from Mojo first. It's not like they're from Otherworld either. <laughs> Do you, like, I'll tell you I'll tell you what it felt like. Let me know what you think. This felt like a MMO or like a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my like a, gosh, yes. 100%. Like Apocalypse was like, please collect six werewolf heads. Yeah. And then they go to the zoo and the zoo's like, can't find them here. And then they push you off onto this arbitrary quest that you're gonna spend the rest of the afternoon doing. And then there's a twist, and the and good guy's really the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. you you nailed it. That's you know, you could have just said that. You should just said, yep. Initial quest for any MMO. Like and if it were part of a game, or... it would be good, but it's just it doesn't feel great as far as storytelling goes. I couldn't I couldn't get over the fact that the werewolves have beaks. Yeah, I don't know what the, why. I couldn't yeah, I couldn't get I don't know if that's it. like a classic. I don't know if it's a mythology thing. I don't know if it's a in the Marvel universe, they've showed up before. And so they look like, but they're from Mojo verse. Th- this book just feels so soulless to me. It just feels like, so, like the characterization. Wow. Not I, mean, I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> I'll do it. Savage. This, this was not the best issue for them. I like the, I, I like Betsy in this role. And I like the idea of her, like of what I think is coming more like the dichotomy of who does she owe her loyalty to as captain Britain. But man, some of the stuff in between is not ideal. I'm, I am also tired of Jubilee and Shogo. Yeah. What were you well, tired about of it in this episode or in this issue? Yeah. The, Oh, I need to get my babysitter for my dragon baby. And then, you know, Oh, we're, we're, trying to get this one job done but let's stop for drinks it's just it's a little it's a little like single mom sitcom yeah okay that yeah it works i'm like you know why don't you just stay home i mean really what is julie's <laughs> purpose anymore at this this point it's and, like she got roped into excalibur I, under a pretty weak pretense and it's like it's even weaker for her staying I even get the, uh, oh, I'm staying here in Avalon because Shogo likes being a dragon and he throws a fit. It's like, yeah, yeah, I bet he does because I would throw a fit too if I was just a baby. And then in the other world, I'm this all-powerful dragon that apparently has some type of beyond childlike sentience. 
Yeah, I think we're going from beat to beat with this book like so fast that even though it's doing the most out of every book, it just rushes through everything so quickly that nothing really resonates. Warwolves are from Excalibur Special Edition number one, 1987. Uh, Notable members are Bowser, Ducks, Jacko, Popsy, and Scarper. (laughs) I'm a big Scarper fan. They're originally a group of extra-dimensional agents of Mojo as part of his Wild Ways, originating from Mojo World in the Mojoverse. Nice. Yeah, this six sentient canine humanoid servants. I don't get the beaks. Even the old picture, they have beaks. <laughs> well, at least they're staying consistent to source material. Like they have an excuse now. Yeah. Uh, and everybody have a strong sense of humor out. and a fondness for televised entertainment. Well, yeah, Mojo first, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, immune to direct attack by psionic energy. That comes. Yeah, they mentioned that. So that's, okay, we're yeah. getting some stuff. All right, all right, all right. All right, well, for you Mojoverse fans out there and people who like classic Excalibur, um, maybe this book goes for you. Let's go ahead and uh, transition on to X-Force number seven. Ah, X-Force number seven. Um, it was a light issue in that it didn't have a ton of characters in it, but what it did um, do was sort of focus on uh, the trauma of two other two characters that haven't been featured that much. I mean, Domino has been featured in the action aspects, but not in the recourse of what has happened to her. So it kind of opens up with, doesn't kind of, it opens up with several assassination, successful assassination attempts on pro mutant individuals out in the world. And it's, uh, what's her name? Sage. Correct. Correct. Okay. Sage and Domino are kind of going over these um, quirky assassinations, I guess would be one way you could say it. Lucky would be the other way you could say it, because some of them are taken from miles off. Shots are taken into account with like the release of a balloon stopping a car in the exact moment that it needs to. Basically, it seems highly odd that someone is able to take these highly lucky shots that someone like Domino would normally be able to take. And if we recall... Domino had a good portion of her body flayed off of her at one point. We It was off camera, but when we were able to get back to her, when Wolverine and them were able to save her, she had quite a bit of her, you know, skin missing. Um, so now it seems that we're having a better idea of what is going on with her skin. Somehow they, we believe at least, it's assumed that uh, Zeno was able to transfer some of, or a bit of her mutant ability to another assassin. Um, while she's kind of hunting this mystery, she also has a, a heart-to-heart with uh, Colossus on the beach late at night because neither of them can sleep due to the trauma that they have sustained uh, a Colossus having gone through trouble in Russia and her obviously with being flayed. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how those characters start to grow because they, neither of them were killed, correct? I, don't I think they mentioned that. Colossus was killed, but I don't think I he don't saw think, it. No, I don't, I, think, he I don't think he was killed. He was injured. I think he was just injured really badly. I think they just healed him. So they're two individuals who still have their memories of a lot of trauma. So it's not like they were brought back and 
you know, there's a chance that Xavier sort of removed some trauma, things like that, like back him up to an earlier version. Um, but anyways, Domino then goes to discover the individual who is trying to, or successfully pulling off these assassinations and discovers, well, she doesn't discover, but it is discovered by the reader that that individual is another Domino lookalike with a swapped color palette, basically. Uh, kind of runs along the lines of, oh, I think it fits in well with oh, Children of the Vault. What was that that woman from Children of the Vault who ran over there? I'm just talking about, but it's just yeah. kind of that black and white. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a similar kind of setup. And if I recall, they were talking about one of the other Children of the Vault being out there in um, a previous issue. That would be a cool connection. I wonder if they if Hickman would give up the reins on something like that. Well, because they were, um, if you're looking at the Children of the Vault stuff, the, the, when the character enters the vault, it starts running a checklist like the vault does and starts talking about units that are online or basically out yeah, there. Yeah, who's out. Yeah. So, and, and I'd have to go back and look at all of them to, to be sure, but it's, um, and what are your guys' thoughts on this one? Because I, I liked, I liked that they revisited an older topic and I enjoyed the, um, condensed character, the, the, the low character count in this, um, that they were able to sort of singularly focus on some one person's story and to get a little Colossus time in there. Cause he's just been kind of neglected this whole Dawn of X yeah. series. Yeah. No, I, I think you nailed it. Um, I I've enjoying that X-Force has taken some time to slow down the narrative and just like tell some stories about some characters. So this arc doesn't seem like, you know, we're not going to try and pretend that we're changing the world and saving the world. It's like a domino kind of arc. And I, I think I can appreciate that. What do you think? It's not, and it's not just like a domino specific arc, but it is cool that she's kind of the feature piece. But to me, one of the things that really stood out is that it's a neat dichotomy that scene with her and Colossus on the beach you know, like they do live on this paradise island and, you know, while you have the ability to just go run on the beach whenever you want or to stand and, you know, paint on the shores of your own mm -hmm. tropical island, this isn't paradise for everyone. Like their X-Force, the whole point is that they're enduring things that are pretty traumatic, you know, and so it's, it's, it's not all just TSD. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they, they are experiencing that type of situation. There are still people on that Island fighting wars. It's not just, you know, we joke that the kids are all, it's all like, oh, okay, well it's just partying every night and orgies every day sort of thing. But like there's real people having to do the dirty work. And it's cool that obviously X-Force is the book explaining that. I still like, um, you know, it's interesting to me. Like Domino with like the Krakoan like uh, power suit or whatever like appendage that mm -hmm. she has, it like makes me really interested. Like, cause I I keep forgetting like they don't kill her and resurrect her in a perfect body, which should have been like the quick and easy answer. Yeah, no, yeah, and that they they go out of their way. Like I think they mentioned that that they you know issues back that they won't just kill people and redo it yeah. there is Lose some the level of sanctity to life yeah thought oh. that was 
really interesting. One thing that I'm just thinking of now that I really wish I had bothered to look up is what is the word at the bottom of Beast's logbook about the scrap of paper? It is chronicler. It, is that what? It, okay, all right. I was like, I, oh, someone. I I had it up on one screen and then Googled the Russian alphabet on the other screen and had to like individually copy and paste and then it into a Google translator. Yeah. <laughs> chronicler. The chronicler. Okay. I was wondering about that. I'm like, hmm, what's Russian? Which is... Well, it I brings don't... back more link to, to what's going on with Colossus. What do you think any of that means? Because I think what's interesting, what's at least intriguing, is that they went out of their way to tell you in that note that Sage was unaware that that message got left. And it seems like she would be relatively aware of things with computer brain that, you know, it sounds like nobody knows where that came from, which would have to be somebody pretty unique or special to do something like that. Someone who can't be seen. Yeah. Or at least sensed in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like wouldn't you would think like black Tom Cassidy would know that something was going on if it were out of the ordinary. Uh, yeah. What is it? Uh, I mean, not a mutant, but ghost. Yeah. No, how would ghost get on an island though? But that's that style of ability where it's, it's not just invisibility, but cannot be seen by technology, you know, things like that. I did. I, so I looked into it pretty briefly. There was a character called Chronicler in like the nineties. That was like a, a cable associated character that ultimately got, killed by Deadpool, but I think the most important thing to that is that she was relatively immune to uh, psychic uh, things. So it would it would allow her to pass, at least in that sense, from the you know the immediate mind observation. But I don't know. That may just be a, a crazy offshoot. Maybe too much of a stretch, or maybe yeah. it's where uh, a neat little Easter egg. Uh, thanks for that little tidbit. Overall, I thought the issue was good. Like that we focused on a character... Did you guys feel stronger connected to the Domino story than Beast? I know you guys kind of had yes. mixed feelings on Beast. Yes. Because yeah. this one, it didn't seem like just a Beast story, and it didn't feel like a standalone issue. Like, this felt like it was a Domino feature, but it fit into a bigger essence of what X-Force has been about. I think we'll also appreciate the break from Wolverine, which I think Ben yeah. Percy is smart to give us a little room here and focus on Domino and then Wolverine having his own series, it doesn't feel like we're getting overloaded. I'm curious. The kind of the question that came out from me about Domino is that what was the opinion you guys got out of this? That like she only has part of her luck powers or that they've somehow sh- cause she mentions the thing about rolling the dice that she can only roll snake eyes. Like how have the powers changed? Does she now, you well, know, manipulating one, bad luck. I I think I think it's made perchance bad luck because she she mentions I'm your snake eyes like right that, and then that, the gun jams yeah or breaks. That, that you know but is that her being unlucky or Domino being lucky? I think the, it might just be a mental like the way she's manipulating her powers. Block. She's in yeah. a negative mind space, so she's altering other people's luck negatively, which is just the same power. It's just it's a viewpoint kind of thing, in my opinion. Has her power traditionally been something that she can directly affect? I don't think I, so. I think it's more just been that like it happens the way it needs to happen. 
I mean, she know, bounces it, bullets off of surfaces that but it shouldn't bounce off that, of that and stuff. Simple stuff. Her her power can't affect anymore. Like spinning up dice. Nope. I mean, that, it could be. It, it, it might yeah. be something as simple as that. It's just not as strong where it, it only affect. It'll only work for real high emotional or high, highly dangerous situations for her. Like not going through the gate and getting killed. <laughs> right. Not, you know, yeah. not getting shot. You know, just well, small, smaller stuff. Or I mean, small, nothing. Like that's stuff. sort of like the technical like question of the power. But maybe like the bigger like philosophical thing is like how much, how much of her has to be somewhere else. You know, on this other person, this skin graft or clone or whatever, before like that person's more domino than domino. domino. You know what I mean? Like, because obviously they got a hold of part of her skin, and now they have access to her powers. And it seems like from that but scene, they she... used. I thought they used her skin already just to jump. Well, we um, we don't know that it's not some security. clone or something. Right, that's what I mean. Like, we we really don't know what the situation is, but she seemed to indicate, like when she woke up from that nightmare, she can kind of. She has some kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say connection, but feeling that, like, part of her is still out there. And so I do think it, it brings up the, an interesting situation in a world where, theoretically, the X-Men could clone somebody who's already alive and make the mistake. And yeah. then it becomes, you know, that kind of identity and in, in the issue of cloning and how much of how much has to be in another place before that's really the real person. I think that's an interesting... Uh area for them to explore in Don and X. Overall, I think we're all pretty high on this issue. Uh, Domino wasn't the only one lucky this week. I think we were all pretty lucky with X-Men number six. Uh, X-Men number six retells the story of Orcus Station, the assault on it from House of X. This time, it's from the perspective of Mystique, though. Sometime before Destiny died, it goes back to a conversation between Raven and Irene that reveals that Destiny had foreseen the creation of the Mutant Nation, on their island of Krakoa, as well as the nation's ability to resurrect fallen mutants. What's more, she reveals that the leaders would never resurrect Destiny for some reason to hide some knowledge from her and Mystique. We then cut to the modern day time period where uh, the House of X uh, assault on Destiny, or sorry, on the Orca station, um, and it's revealed that there was a side mission from Magneto and Xavier that Mystique went on, and they planted a Kokoa gate on the Orca station. Um, later on, Mystique returns to the station to, to scout through that seed from the Kokoa gate. And she finds out they did not prevent the creation of Bastion as they originally believed. She returns after fulfilling her bargain and demands that destiny be resurrected by Xavier Magneto as promised only to be denied with the sting of their betrayal. Mystique remembers Destiny's prophecy and her orders from Destiny. If they will not resurrect her and not fulfill their vow, that she's to burn the nation to the ground. What'd you guys think of this issue? I loved it. It was awesome. It was a great. I, issue. I thought it was the best one. It brought so far it brought up some some parts that I had kind of forgotten about with everything going on. That you know they they bring that up as a big deal with when Moira says you can't bring precogs back, no precogs. And there, you know, there's something about that. Why no precogs? And we kind of forgot about it, just left it there on the side. And then now it's being thrown back in our faces and it's probably going to be a big, big issue. Yeah, yeah. I think this one, this issue 
I might still put Marauders one over it, but it's at least in the conversation. And I didn't think I would be having that conversation anytime soon. And it really, it fits into this world that Hickman has created. And I get that it's really only been, you know, five, six months, whatever it is of Hickman's X-Men, but it fits so perfectly into what's going on now, pulling on the information from the past and setting up for things in the future. It's just, it's a really, really great standalone story. And if you were somebody who's just now getting in and enjoying like Hoxpox and what happened, this feels like the next piece of that. Whereas everything else has been spinoffs. Like this is the story. Yeah. I would say if you got the hardcover for Hoxbox, this would be the next issue you need. Yeah, you could just read this, and everything else is happening and can still make sense, but this is, like, the first, like, next issue. Yeah. Um, I thought Mystique's mission, I thought the inevitability of Bastion was good. I'm excited to have him back, potentially. Yeah. It It's really neat how much stuff like i said that there is getting set up like that that orcus is still around not just around but like they're they they have a sentinel city like that's it's insane how you know like still ready to go they are that there's all these extra story storytelling threads for hickman to pull at moving on that we have this new project for dr gregor that you know the bastion nimrod thing is still going on that it turns out the x-men have had some additional information that we didn't know they've had this whole time And that, like, Mystique is now just, like, this rogue player that could go off at any moment if she's not going to get what she wants. It it puts into the back of your head, too, a comment that, was it in the Fantastic Four crossover? Where they talk about, you know, Krakoa just being another Genosha? Was it the Thing who says that? Well, I think it's always something that's going to... I don't remember who said it specifically, but it, yeah, I mean, I think obviously the island. About like, oh, after Genosha, now it's nice to have everyone, you know, have their own safe place. And I think Thing might comment on something. I think like you are being right. another Genosha, saying it's like, well, aren't you just sit, basically just aren't you guys just sitting on another island altogether again for this to happen? I mean, it, I think you are right that it was Thing. You're right. X Men do like gravitate to these islands, and and as as that happens, you know, it's. You know what's to what's to eventually stop Orcus from just raining sentinels down on them? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's a great point. I I think this issue, one thing that is a real strength, going back to that Hawks connection, it makes it better because I always yeah. thought it was so stupid that Mystique didn't even use her powers to her advantage in House of X number three or four four I want to say where she dies, and it turns out that like. She wanted to die. Right. She did the most important part. She got her job done. She was ready to go home. Extract me by putting a bullet in me. Yeah. It it is it is cool to see that because you're right. When reading it, it was I don't think we really mentioned it, but now, you know, if you looked back and asked somebody, it's like, why was she there? Like she didn't do anything. But really it was a, a bigger plant for oh, uh, that was a not intended pen. A bigger plant for a, a story moving forward. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. I think it played on the data and that they were trying to prevent Bastion from being made. Really connects to House of X really, really, really well. Um, what do you guys think of the the revisit and her choice to follow the Krakoan law and not to kill the humans on the base? 
Uh, I think she did it because she's going to burn the place down. Not that place, but Krakoa. She's keeping, she's keeping cards in her deck. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I don't leverage. follow the law. And I think Magneto called her out on that. He was like, no, no, no. He goes, the law does not apply to them. And it doesn't apply like this. And then the, he's like, most importantly, I think we all know you would have done this regardless of the law. But it's, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's the only leverage she has. Yeah. That whole conversation was pretty interesting. Do you guys... Whose side are you on here? Because reading this conversation, Xavier and Magneto are actively telling her, like, you know better than the fall of the law. It seemed real dark, for well, lack of a better term. Really, they, they've been like that the whole time. I mean, I've been saying it's like, uh, he, Professor X is running a nation now. He's in the long game, and his dream is not what it was. He doesn't run by that moral standard anymore. Yeah, it brought um, back those doubts of, well, is this Charles Xavier? Yep, I mean, nope, nope, we saw his Charles face. Xavier, but... though. I still say it's Charles Xavier. I still think it is his stuff has just been so altered by Moira that this is who he is now. He's just different. The dream is not what it was. It's not the same dream. You know, it's not this yeah. weird cohabitation thing. It is we are a nation onto our own, and there are certain things I must do to preserve that, you know, so that you get your late night parties with your booze. This is what must be done. <laughs> I think though, more importantly, I don't think him willing to break the laws of Krakoa as their leader is the most egregious thing that he does in this comic, at least from the point of view of a reader, right? Oh, it's he willingly it's, tells her, I'm going to give you something that he has no intention of doing. Yeah. He's stringing mystique along. Yeah. He knows he's not going to give, he's not doing that for her. Because I think we all accept, even in the real world, that, you know, world leaders are keeping information to themselves that they don't give to the public, that they have to do things for the betterment of their country or their nation or whatever it is. Well, but as a reader, the characters that we care about, that we've been reading about for, you know, 60 years of comics, he is he's lying to Mystique. Yeah, and, you know, I wonder... They never really say why Moira does not want um, Irene back. Well, I think it's that Irene... I think there's the inevitability of the X... What is it? Four timeline where the machines take over and they ascend. And that has happened in every single time period, no matter what she did. And so the idea is that is unavoidable. But and is, there, telling... is, there a, is there a great betrayal that's happening or does, you know, the, the reason I, I say this is Irene knows she dies uh-huh. and she can't see beyond her own death, correct? I believe that's mm, correct. Clearly she can because she saw this mutination. Well, I guess it's true. But I think she doesn't get to choose what she sees. I think certain things. So she's got to come back and start perceiving more and more Mm -hmm. kind of things. So my question is, what has she already perceived? And what is Moira afraid of her perceiving? You know, as a plot device, you know, there's no limit on what it it could be. But yeah, what she's revealed, I would assume like this is as much as she's revealed. And I think I can see Mystique, you know maybe being able to get her back that that seems like a 
the more fun thing to do than just having Mystique betray everybody. Like I'm thinking Mystique's it's going to come to that. Player. I think, I think Mystique's going to attempt to bring her back somehow. So Quentin, yeah. how hype are you? Because since Dawn of X, like the start of this, you have been every single storyline you've theorized, somebody's going to be like the rogue agent. And now you finally have somebody. No, that's exactly it. This is the Mystique's my character. Now she's my window into this universe. And I know it's probably gonna be a long time before I read her, but like my perspective aligns most with hers where I'm like, what is this bastardization of the dream? And I think she almost has the closest thing to where like things aren't right. And this is a corrupt nation that really will never work. Well, and and will she, you know, is she going to do things like, okay, Sabretooth is still in his bottomless pit. Yeah. You know, does she release him on the island? Does she, you know... There's all kinds of trouble she can cause. So I was going to say, stepping back from like the story and what it means for the X-Men, just looking at this from a design standpoint, something that I found really, really cool. Maybe my favorite page uh, was the kind of black and white page that was a repeat of a previous page, but then it highlights in blue, you know, the person that Mystique was impersonating while she was in the oh, station. Oh, yes, yes. That yeah. was, from a design standpoint so so cool to see because having yeah. already seen the scene once not realizing uh -huh. it's her and then getting the additional information and then re-seeing it and it's easy to do i feel like from you know the the comic creation because you've already done the work you just make a black and white yeah. shouldn't make one page. congratulations you get to save one page on this right, you got a free page out of it but it's so neat and what a clever idea and i was just curious I, you know having never made a comic book myself who do you think makes a decision like that like i would say that's a hickman designed uh page but like most comics i feel like don't have a hickman that is kind of the overarching you know person like do you think that is an author who's like hey this would be cool do you think it's an illustrator who chooses to make it that way do you think it's a editor who like i don't know it's it's, it's neat to the idea of it because that's really a, a big picture idea sort of thing as opposed to like a, a an art decision to be made well i know like um the batman new 52 run like that was snyder and capullo like they very much were like very even in the crafting of the story like snyder had the big ideas but capullo would just like trump him and be like i'm not drawing it that way i'm drawing it this way <laughs> but i'm pretty sure the way that hickman does things and especially with this issue i would bet he was very meticulous on what this book's gonna look like be like th this is the book like you can't mess with my details or you might mess the story up. I I could thing. imagine working with Hickman is both like really enlightening from a creative perspective, but also sometimes a little stressful because I bet there's not as much room for creative interpretation in those notes yeah. as you might find. I do of. think giant size is more where he's letting artists play like that. Yeah. That's kind of the intent of that book is the artists tell him a character they want to do and he writes a story for them based on what they wanted to do. Yeah, that that, and that'll be interesting to see kind of a new, maybe maybe a little more free form i guess you know yeah. my one criticism of this book was that it didn't it, keep going on forever well not yes but also like that's the, the looking forward but the looking back it's like why why did this take us until issue six you know what i mean it's sort of the same problem we had with new mutants like this story is so good and it's capturing the essence of the the hox pox and it took months for us to get here. Well, and don't forget, we still have out, out, um, 
we still have certain problems hanging out like the okay the island colliding with another island i know brought up again they've du- almost doubled their land mass with some weird volcano thing that's been on a in a different dimension basically oh and this white guy called the summoner is there you could just tell this stories is, from the like, x-men what's book going on? yeah and take up all of dawn of x Yes. Yeah. I think he wants to show the passage of time and having these fun little stories. And knowing Hickman in the past, they might seem to be in isolation, but Hickman tends to bring every storyline together. They don't feel like they're in isolation because they're so sudden and then, you know, chopped off that they. Well, you're talking about the choppiness, and I'm saying eventually that the choppy parts are all going to go in the same salad, even though they might seem like this random story about herbologist or whatever, old lady herbologist and just uh, like a separate island. It's probably all connected. Just like, well, just like this, this one, it was a a continuation of something that has that happened a while ago, you know, in in, like you're right months. I mean, so All it, I'm it, saying is I'm a millennial American and I demand instant satisfaction. Ain't that the truth? Hopefully we get more. We got Apocalypse uh, breaking a stained glass window with a sword next issue on the cover. So here's to hoping that those promises get carried out. Where do people fall? All right, just to recap, we drafted mutants towards the beginning of Dawn of X. Uh, we picked characters who were going to earn points based off their participation in the comics. We each picked four heroes, and then we had an agreed-upon split of the Fallen Angels team. And this covers the six Dawn of X titles from issues two through six, except Fallen Angels, in which we got issue one as well. The teams, Kelsey drafted Krakoa, Cypher, Storm, Professor X and X-23. I got Kate Pride, Captain Britain, Sunspot, Cyclops, and Psylocke. And Quentin had Wolverine, Magneto, Emma Frost, and Jean Grey, as well as Kid Cable. Final scores. Quentin, you took third with 56 points. Kelsey, due to a Krakoa gate in this issue of X-Men number six, 57 gets a one-point lead to take second. And then I finished in first with a 67-point charge. Yeah, with with Captain Britain. I think she helped out. negative points for having so much Fallen Angels, Psylocke. Well, and that's an interesting and point. And got Captain Britain in Fallen Angels. Yes, I think was... your character moved backwards and got stupid powers. I'm so... not disagreeing with that. You also had Kate Pryde, who appears in multiple different issues, like different comics. Well, so it's funny that you mentioned that. So I, I cooked up a couple of uh, high yeah, points, or I guess awards, so to talk about. So the MVP of the season, most points scored, was actually Captain Britain, I which is kind 100% of... 100% believe that. 
Well, but it's kind of interesting because she really didn't do anything. <laughs> she obviously has Excalibur, and she's the main featured character of that. And she ekes out a few points here and there in uh, Fallen Angels. But I didn't know that I expected her to be the overall point leader. But she shows up yeah, in all of her issues. She uses the power in all of her issues. There's a death in at least one of them, or two of them. I don't yeah, she does. She does wind up killing her brother Brian, which is of of bonus. But it's yeah. just, I didn't think because she, she only really back in the same book. issue. <laughs> yes, yes. Um. So the other, the next award that I decided to give was best value, and that would go to Quentin's drafting of Gene Gray. He got Gene in the fourth round, so the last round of our draft, who picked up thirteen points, which is a pretty high total. Yeah. Nice. But I wanted. I wanted to honorable mention uh, Kelsey's drafting of Storm the round before, the third round. So he actually scored 14 points, so just one more than Gene, but it was yeah. a round earlier. Uh, the other, the next one that I gave was the best individual week was Kate Pride scored seven points back in week two. She had obviously her Marauders appearance where she showed up, she had use of power she had a a witty one-liner and the major shake-up of being uh, appointed the uh, red red queen yes the red queen but also briefly showed up in uh excalibur 2 where she was piloting the boat taking the team to the island so just an extra added on bonus point there yeah yeah she managed to squeeze in consistent points for you she did I, i was worried about the fact that my two big ones kate and Betsy kind of were their own books. And if they weren't, if those books didn't come out, they were going to be a little weak, but ultimately I think they, they showed up big in their issues. Hey, but you have sunspot to fill in that, that, that uh, void, right? Yes. It was a big one. Also, like even after dying, she was still there for some reason. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Um, boldest strategy in the draft. I, know, I gave to Kelsey bust. such a bust though for the choice of drafting back to back in rounds one and two, the Krakoa cipher. I think what happened was we saw the issue where cipher would translate for Krakoa. Yes. And you were like, if this ever shows up again, that's like a free four points. Well, each also, of them appeared, what are you thinking each in your head? You're thinking in your head, you're like, well, cipher can never leave the Island. He's necessary. He's the only one who can speak to the Island. So there's no have way to he's be. leaving. He's got to be there. No storyline would, would make sense where you take the only translator away. I think it makes sense in Excalibur. I mean, nothing else does, so why would that? <laughs> what, well, in, yeah, except for they, they, they did take him. In the very next and so, Kelsey, time. your point brings me to my final award uh, of the, the season, which was the biggest disappointment, which is going to New Mutants. Because yeah. from a fantasy standpoint, yes, from yeah, yeah, from a fantasy standpoint, obviously, Cypher gets jettisoned into space so he can no longer interact with Krakoa. Yep, and Cypher and Sunspot both get robbed of half of their issues. Yep. So Cypher came in with four points, and Sunspot netted only two. I think Sunspot did Sunspot even use powers? Did not at any point. I think Cypher at least uses powers once in in the New Mutant stuff because he translated a computer code. 
Uh, no, twice because he also the card game that they were correct, playing. Correct. Correct. Yes. But Sunspot, think about this. For as good as New Mutants was, and I think as enjoyable and awesome as Sunspot was, he appeared twice and he never used powers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he he was there, but he was in two issues that we in this fantasy season never used his powers. And was unquestionably the main character of that book. Yes, I, would say. I remember like the we, like the first one. Like, okay, he only scored a point this time, but he's clearly being set up for the big show. And then it was he was still the main character, but it was just nothing within our point structure occurred. Yeah, and so because I I think he was kind of like a long play character. Like there was sort of this hinting that he was going to have this, you know, a, a big moment, like maybe a major shakeup score that he after a while i thought maybe i was going to get a romance with um lady uh, death deathbird Bird. yeah and so it was like oh lady here it comes Bird. she has a title and it just never it just never materialized in six issues because they got split up yep it, it's hard out there overall the fantasy i think was pretty fun yeah it was i had a good time tracking it and stuff yeah. i thought it was interesting everyone's First round pick, very much delivered. Krakoa scored six, 17 points. Kate scored 16. Wolverine, 15. So everybody in the first round had great picks that really that really showed up. Just Captain and Britain then, was brutally good. Yeah. And Psylocke and the, and shows up enough. Well, and that was the thing is I think the, the Fallen Angels decision that we made at the end yeah. made a really big difference because I calculated the scores if we hadn't chosen to do that. Because that was sort of like a last-minute add-on. And if we had not done or not distributed X-23, Psylocke, and Kid Cable, it would have been Kelsey at 45, Quentin at 47, and me at 50. So top to bottom, it would have been only a five-point difference. Yeah. That 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 definitely cost me. Because Cable was very early heavy, and then he kind of dropped off. Yeah. And I don't – it's kind of – you don't really see him use powers a lot, which I think is a pretty common – yeah. Well, it, yeah, that was kind of a problem because Fallen Angels like didn't even acknowledge that he had powers, he right? Grenades. So I think everyone, or at least I'm free to say, that was probably the best part of Fallen Angels was yeah, the point. Psy- Psylocke doing things like uh, psychic butterfly flying um, and constant appearances by Betsy, even if they are just in flashbacks or yeah, I, yeah, it doesn't matter. She still shows up. Well. Kelsey, at least you got that bonus X-23 into uh, X-Men number five. I did. So you got yeah. a little appearance there. And Storm hopped around enough comics that, you know, that's where she started picking up points. I, that's true. There were several people that I think did a really good job of showing up. Like, I think Gene shows up in a few. Cyclops, you know, shows up in a few. Storm. Like, so we all kind of had somebody who could, at yeah, any point, it. just show up and get us a free point. Yeah. Yep, yep. But overall, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, Kamish. Um, We look forward to the next little arc of Don of X. Next week, we get the first issue of Wolverine, which I'm real excited for. A little too late for my fantasy, but either way, I can't wait to jump into that issue. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Good night. Hello, fellow Danger Room survivors. This is Dane thanking you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to invite you to join the examination community by checking us out at our website and Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and get your suggestions for questions of the week and Marvel 20 questions. 
You can find us at examination.blogspot.com and on Twitter at examination. That's E-X-A-M-E-N-A-T-I-O-N.blogspot.com and at examination spelled the same way. While you're at it, help us grow the community by giving us an Omega Level review wherever you listen to the podcast. See you next week.